Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Three words. Consistent, compelling artwork. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this week we're doing a creator spotlight to kick off Black History Month. And this specific creator is somebody who can summed up in those three words that I just said, consistently compelling artwork. And that is Brian Stelfries, a man who's been drawing professionally since 1988. It's amazing because some artists, you can't see the evolution of their artwork. It always, it's a very subtle. And over time, it's like, oh yeah, they've evolved. With Brian, it seemed like early in his career, every project he was trying a slightly different variation on his artwork until he found like the sweet spot. Like if you go back and look at his first work, Psychops from 1988, it's very Frank Miller. Like all the, all the lines and everything, it looks like it's Sin City, but sci-fi. And then now when you look at it, it's like, if you look at a cover he's done, it looks like, like almost like a, a Drew Struzden movie poster. You know, it's like that detailed and really like stylized. And so I'm just amazed at like how his artwork has evolved with each passing decade. His line work as well. I like the most, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. It's not the covers. I love some of the covers for Black Panther, but it's that first page inside where they do like, you know, who's on the book and oh, the different yeah, yeah, characters yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's sort of knockout kind of graphics in style for the internal credit stuff. And that also is something that he's played with before as well. The style like the most was in the Black Panther run where it's this like black and white. And in a way, it's like the styling work that they did on all of the new kind of Hickman stuff and X-Men. It's like he gave that to Black Panther, but it's completely different and it has their own look. And they did continue and repeat it even after he wasn't doing the internal art on the books. He still kept doing not just the covers, but he would do that part as well. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that layout and the sort of taking those graphic elements that he did on the art in the early ones where you have almost like geometric patterns to kind of show the tech and vibranium and how it's built into like fabrics and stuff but then did that on that internal kind of cover page. Well, let's just quickly talk about the tech that you mentioned there for a second, is that what I love is that when Brian was brought into Black Panther, he sat there and went, Wakanda is a country that is extremely technologically advanced, but has been living in a basically a biosphere up until the 1960s. So the technology wouldn't have any Western influence whatsoever. So he went and he looked at African culture and African history I looked at how would they advance certain, you know, different uses of weapons and day-to-day stuff and everything, and then just built upon what he thought would be the evolution of that. And so if you look at that, all like the weapons and everything that the Dormelage carry and everything, you break it down, it is a traditional weapon. It's just now got like technology added to it. It's just kind of cool because he was the first person to actually sit there and go, well, yeah, it would have no Western influence at all. It would just be... Africa. Having an artist that sits there and thinks about, you know, a character that's been done so many times and gone, how can we put, you know, bring more logic to the character? How can we bring more authenticity to the character? In fact, he said, 
there are many ways to do Black Panther wrong. There's a few ways to do it right. And so you got to do it right. Otherwise, people are going to notice. Yeah. yeah. You think with his background of having worked on another character that, you know, dresses in black with pointy ears and sits in front of a lot of tech a lot. Yeah. Although he said mostly covers. Yeah. Still, it's like that they both are so different. And it's the same guy drawing it, especially looking at like the difference between his Batman covers, like the Shadow of the Bat stuff and the Black Panther stuff. There's other artists that we talked about where it's like, I can go on for days about a Dodson eye. Yeah. <laughs> like, or anything that is in that kind of Palmiotti Connors kind of like collab energy for like how the, you know, ladies look. A body with a pile of beds, I love. <laughs> or a like bed with a pile of bodies. A body with a pile of beds. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> all that to say, there's certain artists that like we like how they built on layered on to things about their style that are consistent. For him, like I wouldn't necessarily be able to say you could hold up 10 covers and I would hundred percent guess which ones are his, but they could all be his. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As I, as I said, the evolution of his art that he's, he finds a pocket and he finds the root of the character and that's what he works off of. I want to read a quote from a talk he did at Mondstadt college of art on February 13, 2020. It's just shortly before the pandemic. He's like, one of the things that I always try to think about as a storyteller is we all have questions. If you're a storyteller, chances are you have a problem, a thing you want to get out there. You notice things that are weird or you're incredibly weird or something and you want to say something about it and you want to do something about it. And art kind of allows you that opportunity to get that stuff out there. I oftentimes struggle with seeing something and going, do other people see this? Do they see what's going on here? And I use my illustration work to point out that. If I think something is wrong or unfair, I can point that out in my illustration work. And the cool thing about it is that I get the ability, like the coward I am, to hide behind it. I can say and I can do incredible things. I can convince you something that you might be totally against with my illustration because you don't see me, you see my work and you judge the work. You don't judge the viewer. Art, like each uh, project that he brings... He finds ways to talk about what is present in our reality. And not every artist does that. I always wonder what it's like for some of these artists that have somehow managed to work, especially not just at one, but both of the bigs over the years. Well, he's worked for, as he said, almost every major American comic book publisher. He said he's worked for the big wigs and some small toupees. (laughs) Is in another interview, he's talking about how he got on the Black Panther run and he was asked, and here's the thing, we hear all about the Marvel secrecy for the films and you see the actors like laugh nervously, like, is there a red dot on me right now while you're asking this question? <laughs> or the whole Tom Holland story about how he legitimately found out through Instagram because like they didn't even call him first. Yeah. I forget that they also do that to the artists. So like they asked him to do the run and didn't even tell him about Ta-Nehisi Coates first. Mm. And they just wanted him to say yes. And he's like, but can I like, we're going to be collaborating. (laughs) And 
I'm sure at the time they were just doing their normal Marvel nonsense. But you got to think, listener, if you're a, a person of color working in probably like many other professional industries, unfortunately, in North America, mostly white spaces, you may or may not have had run-ins with other people at work who are like varying degrees of like cool or not cool. So especially for somebody it's like it's not just covers on this he did like internal stuff for i think the first five or six at least after issue nine he goes to covers yeah okay so he's got to be thinking okay i'm gonna have to collaborate this person like more than just doing the cover because you know there's back and forth there's notes whatever like is it one of the not good guys (laughs) or is it like (laughs) one of the okay guys or yeah, and I, I'm saying, guys, I'm not gendering. Let's remember, we already talked about World of Wakanda, where it was like the first time they had two black women writers. So it was a pretty safe bet for him to think guy yeah. at that point. Yeah. And how many jobs has he had to accept, not know who the writer is, and then be like, ah, not this motherfucker again. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird. Like he had to ask for the script first. Like they gave him the outline. But they still didn't tell him who it was until after he like gave like a soft yes, which is just wild to me. Like for the most part in his career, his big thing has been covers. He's done over 50 covers for the Batman Shadow of the Bat series, which has kind of been like his kind of iconic stamp on the first half of his career. Before Black Panther, I think that's what he was best known for. And then with the Black Panther work, that's kind of become something else he's been known for. In between those times, though... He did a collaboration with Walt Simonson on, I don't know if you remember DC's weekly comics uh, experiment that they did, where basically it was like every week, how many weeks was it? It was, uh, let me see here. Yes, it was 12 issues that came out for 12 weeks, and they were published in 14 by 20 broadsheet format, deliberately similar to a Sunday newspaper comic section, and they had a, a fold in the middle, and each page was a different story. So it's like you'd have to get all 12 to get the complete story for each one of them. He did a collaboration with Walt Simonson. It was a, and this is such a crazy uh, combo, the demon and Catwoman. This Catwoman is hired to steal an artifact from Jason Blood, not knowing that there's a ploy of Morgan Le Fay to regain her youth. So it kind of puts the demon and Catwoman at odds with each other. Then of course there's the eventual team up and everything. And that's one that I like a lot of people really enjoyed, but it's one of those things that after the big craze happened, nobody really talked about it. Once they printed the big collected hardcover edition that would not fit on any shelf because it was 14 by 20, nobody really talks about it anymore. That was like in 20, 2010, 2009, 2010 is when that stuff happened. So that was a really cool kind of like little thing he did for DC. And then of course he also did uh Daymen for Boom. But like, again, when you think Brian Stauffer's people kind of just think Batman covers and Black Panther. Now, again, there's some artists who never catch hold where they're even known for anything. But the fact that he's had so much output over the years and worked for so many companies and been like a journeyman everywhere, that is kind of really only known for two things, even though he's done tons of stuff. It's comics are a fickle, fickle breed. Yeah. I think also if I was a collector, I would look at him as somebody whose individual issues or incentive covers are still worth money. Yeah. So that's one where I was like, let me just see something. 
uh, listener for the the younger folks, there's a site out there called eBay uh, where you can uh, buy things. Uh, sometimes other people's things that they used to, like think of it as three. I like make the fact that you stuff. think that young people are our main listenership. They're probably people just yeah. like us listening to. Us. You're right. Yeah. Uh, no, there's there's a couple of my friends' uh, kids that might occasionally listen. Oh, okay. There I you told go. them absolutely do not let them listen to the filter, <laughs> <laughs> but they might anyway. So one of his earliest jobs was something I've recently talked about fondly: the the Marvel swimsuit editions. Yeah, yeah. And that individual issue is worth like there's multiple listed on eBay, but a good one in good condition allegedly good condition uh here's the thing they have it in plastic on ebay if this wasn't a sticky book back in the day i don't know what would have been but anyway it's like (laughs) over two thousand oh it's almost three thousand dollars listed on ebay and there's multiple that are listed for maybe not that much i think this one's in the best condition but first of all that cover is one of the reasons why i kind of wish they would start that run up again because it isn't like a just a kind of cheesy shot it's art (laughs) 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 it's taking a classic comic character it's taking like the idea of a swimsuit edition or like a page whatever you know girl or a pinup and it's mixing these two very visual recognizable styles perfectly Mm -hmm. and the she-hulk one is just chef's kiss like i kind of if they do a second season of She-Hulk, I definitely hope they have at least a nod to this cover in there. Because it would just be... I mean, they, the show already gave every kitchen sink inside joke eye wink to everyone. But this would be ideal. Because this one's a classic. And you can't find this anywhere, listener. You'll just have to like Google and look at the cover. But it it is a beautiful cover. But some of his other covers, like one of his hip-hop variants from Black Panther, mm. like his Miles Morales Spider-Man. You've heard me many times say I judge books by covers. And sometimes I'll just buy an issue of something and I may not even keep buying it physical or buy the rest of it. He's definitely, if I was looking to try to get any kind of possible sales bump for a new title, he would be, in my mind, an easy fix. Like, let's go to this guy, at least for, let's say, the first three covers, just to establish some kind of, you know, bump for someone just walking by to have a chance of picking this up instead of something else. So I think that's another way he's been deployed over the years, kind of quietly on different titles or brought into things, but he doesn't necessarily get known for that. But I feel like those who know, know. And I feel like if you were still collecting like singles physical singles i would feel a little safer investing in uh selfies you know variant or incentive cover and right now one of his more recent uh incentive covers for the new monica rambo which is gorgeous by the way and again you would not be able to pick this up in a store unless you were like a treasured regular customer it's already listed on ebay for like many hundreds of dollars it's like Yeah. So I think he's been deployed also quietly as this like variant cover guy. And this is 
like you wouldn't see these listener like variant covers you might see but incentive covers that's really only like comic stores gotta get maybe one of those and like they yeah get because them all the, the idea time. is they gotta order yeah. like 50 to get one and stuff like that yeah they got to order yeah. 50 of the regular to get one incentive cover. Yeah. Yeah. Like I got an incentive cover once by mistake for something and the store called to ask me to bring it back because they <laughs> put that in my box by mistake instead of the actual cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to give it back. I did, but it hurt because it was so pretty. Yeah. When I was working at a comic shop, there was the Wolverine Origins series, not Origin, but Origins, where it was an ongoing series. And in the fifth issue, I think there was a cover where it's like Wolverine with the American flag painted on his face. There was an incentive cover with the Canadian flag painted on his <gasps> face. And almost every guy that was getting that book on file was like, I want the incentive cover. I want the incentive mm-hmm. cover. He was like, the guy who owned the store was like, listen, we're going to have to do a raffle. Yeah. Like you want to buy only getting one. Copies. Yeah. You want to, you want to <laughs> buy 30 copies to get it. Sure. Yeah. You have to truly love what you do to, I think, also make that part of your whole thing because you're drawing these beautiful covers and only a certain amount of people are going to see them, especially now because they usually don't use the incentive covers as the ones that are listed on digital and other things. Sometimes when it's exactly the same, but it's just like a different paper stock. But for the most part, some of those covers, like you don't even get to ever see them. I can see Estelle Free's work being used as an incentive. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Centuries ago, he would have been doing beautiful like cave paintings and in like a cave that nobody could get to. That you have to like rappel down into it just it would be covered with like beautiful stuff would be discovered, you know, centuries later by like a Werner Herzog type who would like (laughs) walk through the cave and he did and he has a weirdly good cave documentary. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this sort of figure just creating these beautiful stories with just covers in many cases and just, you know, pounding them out over the years. I just wonder yeah. what it's like in his mind. Is his mind just half finished concepts like or is everything new? Well, the thing when is when he really gets cool. the story. Yeah, I saw like a thing about his process and how he does stuff. And the one thing that he says that when he's working on interiors that like, I haven't heard about this before. This sounds really cool is that he'll do the layouts because like most people finish the art and just hand it off. He'll do the layouts for everything. So it's unfinished art. Then he'll send that in to get the lettering. So he knows where the lettering is and then he'll finish the work. Then he'll do the finishes on everything and it'll be completed. Whereas most people just do everything, hand it in and the letters go where they go. Whereas he's like, I want to know where they want to put these letters, the caption boxes and the word bubbles and everything. So then I know what part of the work I still got to focus on in the panel. And and that makes sense because there's so many artists who have complained for years about, I do this beautiful drawing, you cover half of it up with words. Like that's a really cool idea. The other thing that I think is really cool about his approach is that he'll start drawing an image and he just likes to get messy. He's like, I'm going to draw as many shapes and lines to this as I can for what, you know, trying to get the image. And once I find it, well, then I'll finish it in the inking. I'll go to the inking. I'll go to the the finishing part and I'll find the finished product there. And I thought it was really cool that he's kind of got like this controlled chaos to his art. Yeah. I definitely noticed that in that early domino run he did. And it's, there's some of the fighting panels and a domino can get real messy because 
so many artists i think try to convey the chaos of her luck-based power mm. so it very much looks less choreographed even though these are stills it definitely oh this is just happening like this is just coming in from like the next panel this element this bullet this alligator this explosion for her the eye stamp it's like this is the anchored element and then everything else around yeah and the panel is just like haps like it's just wild everything else is going on and you sort of see that consist so it kind of helps you place her in the middle of a lot of uh male east type battles that happen to a domino character because yeah. she's always gonna get away because luck and you just look for that eye patch and limbs and yeah. it, it's it's a it's a nice anchoring point throughout oh, totally. and like when I was reading the first few pages of that, I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this style. But like once I sort of hooked on to her eye, I was like, okay, I can get where she is in this. Because there's a lot of sort of explosions and being flung out of things and jumping behind things in a, in a domino book. That's why she's so fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Of course, you know, it isn't all just uh, big two stuff. He actually uh, is one of the co-founders of 12 Gauge Comics. So it's an imprint that they've done stuff at DC Wildstorm and at Image. One of the most known ones they did was a uh, series that Stelfreeze did with Devin Grayson called Matador. But uh, in 2020, Stelfreeze launched a Kickstarter campaign for a book that he did called Thomas River which was a spy series. It was a 40-page first issue. He wrote it with Doug Wagner, and the idea is that he wanted to do John Wick meets James Bond, but black. Thomas River is a known world-renowned engineer among his metropolitan friends. He jets around the globe as a consultant to the biggest engineering firms, but that is simply a cover. In reality, River is the quintessential secret agent, equivalent to Jason Bourne, Ethan Hunt, and James Bond in every manner but one. He is a black man. Raised by his working cast family in Baltimore, Thomas was exceptionally gifted student. While he could have gone down the wrong path and almost did, Thomas's mother simply wouldn't let it happen. After buckling down, Thomas earned a full ride to Cornell where he double majored in structural engineering and linguistics. After graduating with honors, the CIA saw his true potential and recruited him to their ranks and he did not disappoint. That's just an explanation of the character. He hasn't even gotten into the, the plot of the story yet. He basically goes on to say he's the most badass American secret agent ever. In the debut book, a terrorist attack, unlike anything seen since 9-11, hits the United States. Many lives are lost. And as one of the attacks is in Baltimore, it hits all too close to home for Thomas River. But before the day is over, River is called in by the President of the United States herself and charged with tracking down the people who orchestrated and carried out this heinous act. As River chases leads across the globe, in his effort to bring the guilty to justice, he will discover the plot goes deeper than he could ever imagined. And it's no surprise they made their Kickstarter goal. In fact, they surpassed it. And what was supposed to be 40 pages became 48 pages. And I hope that we actually get some Thomas River out there. Because I, as I said, that was a Kickstarter campaign. I haven't heard anything about them doing like a series at Image or anything like that. But so far into his career, still coming up with compelling ideas. Yeah. And he does, you know, like so many of the artists do, describes himself as a storyteller. It's not just the pictures. Yeah. So you got to think he's got so many ideas in there and I hope he gets a chance to get them out. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. It, it's been a weird year. It seems like 
every time I'm looking in like the front page of a comic book, there's like another tribute to a comic book artist we've lost. <laughs> so thankfully Brian seems to be okay. He's still okay. Yeah. yeah. Still wearing that yellow beanie, like still yeah. doing all right. Yeah. And yeah. she seems, and that's the thing. Everything I ever see him in, he seems like so calm and yeah. zen. Like he just seems like a calming influence. If he was around, I don't think I'd have any stress. That's the kind of guy he seems like. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely even a lot of the interviews and things I've seen with him, there's always a moment when the person talking to him thanks him because he just like gives <laughs> these like very well considered answers that are like very honest and thorough. He's just, yeah. he just seems like a real mensch. Check out his art if you haven't, although if you're a comic fan, there's a good chance you have seen his art, because as we mentioned, he's done a lot of it. I would recommend, of course, and I think you would too, the uh, Nation Under Our Feet story arc, Black Panther, as a a good entryway if you haven't seen any of his stuff before to check out, totally. And if you ever happen to be at a show and stumble across uh, one of his uh, variant covers, pick it up. Like you, you at least won't lose money. Yes. Yeah. And if you're at said convention and you see Petula, she is going to be searching the quarter bins for that particular swimsuit, Marvel swimsuit illustrated with his cover. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe with gloves on. Maybe with- <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I will be searching. <laughs> oh, man. So we've come to the end of another Back Issue Bloodbath. Petula, where can people find you? At Anatiff.com on Twitter and Hive at Obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. And of course, you can follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. But of course, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. Whatever platform, be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Spotify, wherever it is, sign up there, subscribe, give us all the stars you can, say nice things, and then go out into the world and say nice things to each other because it's important to give out the good energy that you want to get back. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petunio. Have yourself a good... <laughs>